What's up, guys, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Frankie. And I'm Alex. And together, we are FNA Van Life. This is the podcast where every week we bring you news from the nomadic community or interviews with other nomads so you can know what it's really like to live life on the road. And then we kind of miss life on the road, I feel like. Well, I know I do, at least. Yeah, for sure. Building is hard and tiring, and I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exhausted with the baby. It just makes it things a little bit harder. But I think that once we're on the road with the baby, I think it might be a bit easier. Yeah, for sure. I'm really looking forward to like I'm visualizing us in our new bus and in our new space. And yeah. uh, spoiler alert, we may or may not have put a deposit down on a particular school bus. Don't want to give away too much information because yeah, you're going to have to wait to find out because it's not 100 percent for sure yet. Well, and it's not like we're splurging on it either. Like it's I think it's a fair price, you know, for what we're looking for. We'll talk about the price once we have it and whatnot. But uh, today's podcast is all about being frugal. So, you know, this is this is part of us being frugal, but also at the same time getting what we want. It's also kind of funny because I feel like in a sense, we're at the beginning of our van life journey again, yeah. because the beginning of of your van life journey is setting your budget and finding your rig and and we've set our budget and we're finding our rig now and the crazy thing is is you know we don't know where we're going to be at once we sell this rv that we have and we're almost done with that we're getting really close no mm-hmm. we're getting <laughs> two steps forward one step back yeah. <laughs> today i had to go and uh and work on the rig and it was freezing cold outside. This is our big problem right now is that the weather is starting to really cool down here in Ontario, Canada, where we're building. And just certain things require temperatures above zero. When we don't have the temperatures above zero to be able to do these certain jobs with caulking and things like that, it just makes life a lot harder. And it, I don't know, it kind of slows us down. I mean, it's, it sucks building in the winter anyways. And The more days that we can't do stuff, in my mind, it's just getting closer to more days where we can't do even more stuff because it's actually dumping snow and it's actually, you know, minus 10 outside. Yeah, I would think if we were working inside the rig, it's not as hard. But the fact that we're working like outside the rig Mm -hmm. is the hard part, you know, and then also Mm -hmm. on top of that, all the things that we're trying to do out there require temperatures above freezing in order to be able to get them done. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's that's another hard part about the whole situation. Yeah. Fingers crossed we're done with all that. (coughs) So if you are in the lower 48, you should thank your lucky stars right now because at least it's above 50 degrees down that way. In a well, lot of some places, places like our friends, lot. our friends, Drifter Journey, you should check them out. They're really sweet people. Um, they have a place in Colorado and they're getting dumped on. Yeah, but that's normal in Colorado. I'm talking about like sea level. And then like, I New think you're York talking about the lower, lower 48. No, like no, if we were in Florida, Georgia, Alabama, it'd be nice. Let's just say I looked at the <laughs> I looked at the temperature in Brooklyn and the temperature in Brooklyn is about 20 degrees warmer right now. <sighs> it's like 50 there where it's like 
30 here. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> it's getting real cold real fast. I mean, we're only a month till Christmas-ish. Yeah, it makes sense why it's getting cold. I'm not, I love the cold. So, like, I like being outside in the cold, so it feels good to me. But the thing is, is that when it comes to building, it's making our lives hotter. Yeah. So anyways, we've got a lot more work to do, a lot more building to do, a new rig coming up. We're going to have two rigs at once. We've never had that before. So that's an exciting thing. Um, But today's interview with Jill from Frugal Friends podcast is all about setting your expectations and figuring out your life on the road to make the most financially responsible and really freeing decisions that you can make. Yeah. And I I will say we're talking about the difference between frugal and cheap. You know, there are two, there are huge differences. You know, you need certain things, so you have to get those things. So if you weren't getting those things, that would be being cheap. But if you're like spending your money on things that you don't really need and it's more of a want than a necessity, then that might be just overspending, you know? So you got to find the middle. And I think being frugal is all about knowing what you need and knowing what you have to have and then spending money on those things mm-hmm. and also spending money on things that are going to give you value. And mm-hmm. we talk a lot about that in today's episode and even some of the stuff that Alex and I purchased to give ourselves more value. So let's dive right into it. Here is Jill from the Frugal Friends podcast. Sweet. Well, Jill, we're super excited to have you on the show today. Frugality is something that all van lifers are pretty uh, well-versed in, or most van lifers. Or trying to get well-versed in. Yeah. So we're excited to get some tips from you. Um, Obviously, you've got the Frugal Friends podcast. So maybe we could just start about like how your journey to frugality began and what kind of really excites you about you know, that you talk about it every single week on the podcast? Yeah, great question. And thanks so much for having me on. I am really excited to get the opportunity to talk to your listeners and to answer your question about how this began for me. My background is in social work. And so, well, we all make personal finance decisions usually on a daily basis. But for me, coming from the social work, mental health background, I was accustomed to not making a lot of money throughout my career and yet not wanting to change my career either. And so it was kind of this necessity of how do I leverage the resources that are available to me while also ensuring that that the life I want to lead is possible. Of course, the different efforts that I've made in my frugal journey have shifted and and my understanding of frugality has shifted and it's ever evolving. But the podcast then started because I was living in an RV with my husband as really an effort to own a home within our means. It really wasn't for the primary purpose of traveling, although we did get to do that, but it was, we can't afford a house and this are these RVs have everything we need so let's give it a try and so that was one of the kind of drastic non-traditional moves that we made to be able to pay down some student loan debt and for me to really be able to continue on in the social work career. So I met Jen, my co-host of the podcast, when we were on a road trip in our RV. And because I was doing something non-traditional to pay down debt and she was in a debt payoff journey, we were able to talk about these things that a lot of times people don't talk about and then decided... Let's have a podcast. We think that other people might be able to benefit from just tearing down some of the stigma around talking about personal finance. 
Mm-hmm. So I would say that you are a testament to actually jumping into the RV and travel world in the sense, because you did travel during it, um, that actually cut down on your expenses. You know, yeah. we talk about this quite often, actually, how living life on the road could be much cheaper than living life as we call it normies. Yes, yes, I think so. That's one of the things a lot of people will will ask me too, even though I am no longer living in our in an RV. We did at two separate points. We lived in a motorhome and then a, a trailer at, at two different points in life. Loved it, by the way. But people will come and ask us, you know, oh, is this a good idea for me? Should I consider this? And how much does it cost? And I think one of the things that stands out to me is there's a way to do it that's very expensive. And there's a way to do it that is really cost effective. So I really think it's going to depend on your motivation and in getting into it, but also setting realistic expectations of what, what is and isn't going to be possible depending on where your finances fall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think we're totally in the same boat. We've definitely talked about it on the show before in terms of, you know, choosing the right vehicle for your van life or RV adventure. What's your budget? That's the very first question that you have Mm -hmm. to ask. And I think kind of you take it a step further in terms of like, what's your motivation, right? So like, why are you getting into this lifestyle, especially around money? Like, if one of the main purposes is to save money, cut down debt, buy a home, be able to save a bunch of money. Like we see stories all the time of people who've saved, you know, six figures since moving into a van. Um, So how does somebody go about kind of shifting their mindset in terms of, you know, moving from like, you know, a traditional home, they want to get into this, they want to be more frugal, you know, how do we shift our priorities to make that happen? And I would add a little bit to that, like how do you get away from, consumerism, I guess, is what it is, you know, that we have a problem with in humanity? Yeah, (laughs) big questions there. I don't know if I'm able to solve all of it in one answer, but I think it's going to start with each individual, certainly looking at their own life circumstances and season. I would not recommend the RV life for all people. And I certainly don't think that it needs to be a lifestyle that we then feel entrapped to. I think sometimes we can put this label on ourselves of I'm a full-time RVer and then it feels like then I can never shift and change and choose something different for me because my season has shifted and changed. So I think some of it's going to just start with a little bit of that permission to change our minds, to learn, maybe even through a series of failures, what's going to be best for us, but also what do I need? What's most important to me? What do I value? And that question certainly intersects with our finances, regardless of our living situation. One of the things we like to talk about is values-based spending, meaning that within a frugal journey, we can spend on the things that we value and say no to the things that we don't value. So it's kind of pushing back on this idea of being cheap or deprivation as it relates to a frugal lifestyle and recognizing that many of us haven't been taught how to spend, that spending is a skill. Like we can't just save and save and save. We also have to purchase things. So I think when we're kind of on this journey of identifying what's actually important to me, what do I value? It could be that I actually don't value 
home ownership in the traditional sense. I am maybe a little bit regretting the home that I purchased or the interest rate that I got, or it's too much for me to maintain. And this is being sold to me as the American dream, but it's not actually panning out to be something that I like, or I don't like the location that I'm in, or I'm, I am really tired of renting. I would love to have the sense of autonomy in the space that I'm living in. And so I think the answer to any one of these questions is what could help lead us to what's going to be the next step. One other thing I do want to mention when it comes to finances and some of the bigger decisions that we make, we like to focus on the big four, the things that are going to be heavy hitters in our finances, which is housing, transportation, food, clothing and our bills, whatever kind of utility or fixed expenses we have. So of course, when, when we're talking about van life, RV life, that kind of a thing, that's hitting on housing. And so if we do want to see some heavy dents in our finances and just cutting out the latte here and there isn't really doing it, then it could be a worthwhile consideration of how can I reduce my housing expenses? And if if it's a two-in-one and you're getting a house and a vehicle, then you're kind of answering both of those two out of four things and reducing your, your monthly expenses. And even reducing your expenses even more because now for like insurance, for example, you only need insurance on your vehicle that is also your home instead of your home and your vehicle. So there are definitely a lot of savings to living in a van. Something that you said really struck me, um, you know, having the mindset of save, 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 which I think Frank and I really got into this the year before we moved into the van. So we had set our priorities. We knew we wanted to get out of New York City. We were going to build our own rig. And we, it's like this mindset shift where you're no longer wanting that $10 latte or whatever it is, because you're thinking, okay, I need to buy a composting toilet and I need to buy a solar system. And I need to, you know, all of these things that you're going to put into your rig become more important than the $150 dinner out in New York city. Right. So, but then there came this point where we got on the road, we had this pile of money that we'd saved up for the year. And then we had to start spending it. And it was very scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was. Mm-hmm. And I would even say also another thing that happened during that is, you know, setting priorities for ourselves, which was something that was really interesting because those priority priorities actually involved our friends and family. We didn't realize it was going to, but, you know, friends might ask you, hey, let's go out and let's go party or let's go to the bar or let's go out to eat and, you know, it starts to feel like you're letting those people down, but realistically you're trying to build your life up, you know, and it, and it's something that in that moment, nobody understands but yourself. And even yourself, you're trying to fight with this ideology that what you're doing is right, you know, and you're like, I, I'm so sorry, but if you want to hang out, like come over to my house and, you know, you can help out with whatever we're doing, you know, and it is, it's a scary thing because you're like, am I going to lose my friends over this or my family members over this? You know, so I I would like to say, make sure to prioritize what you think is going to uplift your life, even if that is with a small sacrifice of time with friends. If they're not willing to come to you, they're probably not a great friend anyway. 
And you're hitting on some really crucial aspects and and where the rubber meets the road when it comes to our finances, even if we're doing really stellar with it, there's going to be all sorts of demands and things we want to spend on. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, that's where that self-understanding comes in. And and even before that, the curiosity of what do I value? What is most important? Most likely the things that are of utmost importance to us don't cost money, but it's going to take money in order to be able to enjoy those things of life, right? Like having flexible time and energy, being able to spend more time with friends and family, being able to engage in the hobbies that you like, that's going to take a degree of money to be able to do those things, even though in and of themselves, they don't cost money. And so I think you're, you're describing both the experience of having seen, oh, this is actually an easy thing to say no to because I have have this bigger goal in mind. But then we can also hit these seasons of life where I don't necessarily have other things vying for my money. So whatever comes knocking on the door, my money could just flitter out the window to it. Mm -hmm. And so I think continuing to keep a tether on what's of value to me in this season, where do I want to be spending my money? How can I do that in, in a way that is really valuing this resource and being a good steward of this resource in the same way that we we also have to steward our time. We have to steward our physical resources. We have to steward our natural resources. We have to steward our money resource too. So you know, we're, we're accustomed to, we carve out time for work. We carve out time for family. We carve out time for sleep. Some of us better than others. Like they're all going to go hand in hand. The better we get at stewarding our emotional, mental, physical capacities, the better we're also going to become at stewarding our money. And then we don't have to feel guilty about going out for dinner and spending the 150 bucks if that is really where our values lie, because we've saved money over here or all of our bills are paid for. We're not going into debt for this. And this is really bringing joy and it's life giving to us and we budget for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So practically speaking, how do you suggest people kind of figure that out for themselves? You know, like what, you know, you just sit down once a month and like have a, have a think about it. Are you, you know, obviously you probably have to engage, you know, and have a conversation with your partner or like the other people in your life. Like how do you at the Frugal Friends podcast kind of go about you know, setting up these priorities and making it actually happen in your life. All of the above, <laughs> everything you mentioned. I really wish that I could give myself and others this step one, step two, step three, boom, done. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's much more of a lifelong journey than that. But there are certainly some guiding principles in it of that curiosity with self, wanting to learn more about ourselves, what is important to me. One of the things, the more tangible things that I recommend to people at this stage is avoiding the why questions with yourself. There's nothing wrong with why, but at this stage, when we are trying to learn more about ourselves, sometimes asking ourselves why or even others why can put us on the defense. So for instance, to say, why, why did you just go shopping and spend all of that money as opposed to what is it about shopping that I enjoy, that I find life-giving? 
I'm asking the same thing, but two very different approaches to it. One actually helps me to dig deeper and understand more. And the other is like, uh, whoa, 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 guilt, shame, you name it. And we're just on this cycle and we're not, we're not learning better. And as we are kind of training ourselves in this curiosity, another very tangible exercise that we encourage people to do is what we call a a 90-day transaction inventory. So this is where we want to pull up our credit card statements, our bank statements, kind of everything, wherever you have possibly spent money and it is logged to pull that up. And this is going to include your fixed expenses. Don't exclude those because as you all know, we can challenge everything. We can challenge the mortgage. We can challenge the rent payment. We can challenge the vehicle that we own. I'm not saying everyone has to, but it's it's worth looking at. So we want to look through what have we spent on in the last 90 days. And we say 90 days because month to month, so much can shift and change. And we get curveballs thrown at us. And so usually taking three months is going to show us a little bit more of, okay, what are the miscellaneous? What are the things that pop up? And then as we, as we look at that, creating a column. So whether we are writing this out or printing it out or getting it in a digital format in some way, but creating another column next to each line item where we can almost journal about these transactions. And as much as we can remember, considering what what was the events that took place that day? What just came before me spending that? How did I feel afterwards? How do I feel about it now? Do, Do I feel guilty about that spending? Is there this kind of visceral reaction inside of me that wishes I wouldn't have spent on that thing? Did I feel peer pressured? Was I sad? Was I excited? Was it like a treat yourself moment? All of these things are going to teach us about our triggers, the things that we say we value, whether or not our spending is actually aligning with the things that we say we value. And this is going to be the first step in then making some of those shifts and changes. And yeah, actually, I'm spending a lot on just going out for breakfast most days or running through a drive through it's not actually serving me that well. It's more of a habit and I'd rather shift and change that. So there's more that can come with it, but I think that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We did a very similar exercise before we got on the road. I think we should probably do it again. It seems like something that you should do, you know, maybe set it up every January or whatever, you know, check how your spending is going. Because, you know, budgeting isn't something that you do once and then never do it Mm -hmm. again because life changes, seasons come and go, priorities shift, things change. Um, But for us, when we were getting into the van originally, this was super helpful um, in trying to figure out what our budget was going to look like on the road. Because there were some things that we could automatically take out, like our rent payment, for example. But then we had to think, okay, but right now we're spending, you know, maybe 50 bucks a month on gas, we're probably going to be spending like 250 bucks a month on gas. So what is that going to look like? And how are these going to shift and change? Yeah, one of the things that definitely shifted and changed was we thought that we would be spending quite a good amount of time in RV parks and campgrounds and stuff like that, where we would be spending a lot of money on those, you know, monthly or annually. And, uh, but we were traveling and we were snowboarding we were trying to do this epic adventure of like the most mountains ever snowboarded in a single season. Mm-hmm. Um, and we realized that a lot of the time on the East coast, we could just stay at the mountain and we didn't have to pay anything extra. So we, we had like our tiny home on wheels and we would just get there and we would park up, we'd go snowboarding and we would leave and we would have this, you know, again and again, opportunity to kind of park and not pay for parking. 
And then so this changed our thought process and our budget on how much we're going to actually spend on campgrounds. Now that money was able to be reallocated into the gas fund or whatever else. Like maybe we could go out to dinner once a week now because of that. Or we could save the money and hold it for like a rainy day emergency expense. You know, if we have a breakdown or something big like that. Yeah, that's super smart. I definitely recommend, especially for people just starting out, but really most people to be looking at whether you want to call it a budget or a spending plan. Sometimes calling it a spending plan is more fun monthly because things are going to shift and change. There's different birthdays, there's the holidays, there's travel, there's maybe staying put, there's extra obligations with who knows, food, you name it that it's not going to be the static thing. I can commiserate. There are some months where I maybe only need to fill up my tank once and then other months where it's like we had to fill up five to six times. And we can't plan for everything, but as much as we can see what's upcoming and shift and rearrange, it may mean that, okay, we're going to try and spend less on groceries this month, or we need to start putting more money aside now for this travel expense. I definitely think that for anybody trying to aim at the some of the lifestyle that you're describing, it would be advantageous to set up not only an emergency fund, but also potentially a sinking fund. And what I mean by a sinking fund for anyone uh, unaware is just essentially a small savings account for short-term goals. So some people might have a sinking fund for the holidays or a sinking fund for vacation or a sinking fund for car repairs. Certainly when it comes to the RV lifestyle, having a sinking fund for that is necessary to really be able to feel comfortable and prepared for those those unexpected because they are going to happen. We can't always see them coming, but they're going to feel a lot less stressful if we know, all right, I didn't know what the unexpected was going to be, but I have money set aside for it. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we do actually Every time we get paid, because we are also... Um, we have our own business. Yeah, so we don't have a fixed every other week. But you could do this within, you know, if you were getting a, you know, consistent paycheck. But whenever we get paid anything, a percentage of that automatically goes to all of these different, you know, sinking funds that you're talking about. Like, we have one for our dog in case, you know, we have a medical emergency for our dog. We have one for Insurance. the van. We have... And then and other things like... Our car insurance, we pay semi-annually. So we know every six months we're going to need X amount of dollars. So every single month, the bank account automatically takes out a percentage of that to put it in the account. So yeah, that yeah. when, you know, that six month payment comes, you're not like, oh, shoot, where am I going to find this couple of hundred bucks? You're just like, oh, it's right here waiting for me. And even something so small as like, we have to take our taxes out. Uh, most people already have that taken out by their their company that right. they work for. So they don't have to even think about that. But I would even say, if you can take out another 15%, put that away, right? And then you could then utilize that money and you could invest it, you know, like just because you're being frugal doesn't mean you can't, you know, grow wealth as well at the same time. So it's 100%. Yeah. Frugal, not cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. funny. I feel like there's some things where you can be like the, same person in two different moments where like you're happy to spend a certain amount of money on something that you think is valuable. And then you turn around and somebody wants $8 for like a cliff bar at the airport. And you're like, absolutely not. Like there's no way that I'm paying that. So I'll give you like a little, for instance, 
we might go out to dinner or something with family and or friends, and we might get something that's very cheap on the menu or frugal on the menu, we could say. <laughs> but then when it comes to learning more about what we do for a living, we'll throw $5,000 down to take a course to better ourselves, to be able to you know, do better at our job and to come up in life when it comes to what we do for a living. That's beautiful. And I would say that's values-based spending. I think that frugality can get a bad rap in that it means never spending. And, and that's where I that's how I would define cheap. Cheap is aimed at how do I not spend any money? And sometimes to the the taking advantage or exploiting of other people just so I don't have to spend a penny or pull my wallet out. Whereas frugality, on the other hand, is just looking at how can I steward my resources well? And sometimes that's going to mean dropping $5,000 on a course because that's an investment in myself mm-hmm. and, and saying no to the super expensive meal. It, again, I think some of this is going to be directly tied to our level of income and to what degree we have to say no to things. But I definitely want to push back. And it sounds like you are too on this idea of deprivation, that in in the frugal journey, there certainly might be sacrifice. But when we're able to understand our values and what brings us joy and what's life-giving, then we can spend without guilt or shame or question on the things that, yeah, I've got the money, I know this is important to me. I value this. I'm not going to feel guilty about this. I'm spending. And maybe it's a bit of a sacrifice to say no to the meal. Or maybe it's, that's that's no skin off my back because I don't care about it that much and I'm still being fed. So as we learn more about ourselves, then it can better inform these spending decisions. So I have a, a question for you. Thinking back to like your RV and trailer kind of life, is there anything that you can pinpoint like that you were being frugal about during that time? Like things that you were, wouldn't spend on or would spend on, or, you know, just thinking back to that time of your life, you know, what was your frugality mindset then? Yeah, certainly just in, in housing, it was really trying to hack the housing as much as possible and, and save as much as possible so that we could pay down debt. That was really the, the big overarching piece. And it did allow us to do that, to, to pay down debt the, the first time. And then the second time we lived in an RV, it helped me to cash flow my master's degree. So those things really help me to stay focused on my bigger goals. I don't know if this is exactly answering your question, but maybe adjacent to it, I definitely had some unexpected learnings in the RV life in that it really did connect me with all of my waste. I mean, certainly the septic waste, which is, if you don't want to deal with that, don't do the RV life. (laughs) That's one of the worst parts, but we survived. Um, But just all of what I bring into my home and what goes out of my home, I'm fully aware of how much water I'm using, how much trash I'm creating, how much I'm throwing away, what I'm bringing in and what's going out. Those lessons are definitely sticking with me even going beyond. So I think in some ways it really helped me to zero in on really my value for that, like not creating a ton of waste 
being as sustainable as possible with the resources that I have, certainly informing the way that even I'm cooking it. I loved cooking in my tiny camper. I think that it was one of the most fun, probably because I like gamifying things and I like challenges. So kind of having like a two burner stove and the tiniest little countertop and tiny sink just made me go nutso in it. So I think during that time, I definitely built up more of a skill set for cooking, for figuring out how to reuse and repurpose ingredients. And so it helped me to shift where maybe I was, I would have gone out to eat a whole lot more. It certainly helped me to shift my tendency to just buy whatever. I think before I loved a deal. So thrift stores, yard sales, you name it. I loved it. And I would have a collection of things. I mean, my apartment before we moved into an RV was full of things. And part of that was because I just felt like, well, that's okay because I got it for 50 cents. I got it for a dollar, no big deal. And then to move into a tiny home is like, no, you've got to be content with what you currently have. So I think it, it shifted my values a little bit more, helped me to identify enough, helped me to identify contentment in just not spending, collecting, buying more and more, even if it's a deal. Yeah, I think we definitely, one of the biggest things that shifted for us was that we wouldn't have a mailing address a lot of the time. Yeah. So those impulse purchases that you make on Amazon or when you're shopping or when Facebook pops up an ad or things like that, you're like, ooh, that would be really cool and that would be cute. And then you get to the checkout page and you realize, Where am I, I don't this? have an address. And then you f- completely forget about it because- yeah you know, like a week goes by, a month goes, you're like, okay, I'm going to, when, when I do have an address, I'll remember that I wanted to buy this. And then that item just doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't have any value. You're not, I've never gotten to like, I mean, occasionally if it's something you really needed or whatever, but like probably 90% of the things that I was going to purchase, I didn't purchase because I couldn't make this impulse buy. Yeah, I love that as a barrier to impulse spending is like, don't have an address. That's don't a great address. <laughs> the, the, the interesting part is like, there's Amazon lockers everywhere. Like you could get the stuff. It's just mm-hmm. the fact that you have to go out of your way to go get it. It makes you go, do I really want it? Yeah. Or do I really need it? You know, so whenever we really needed something, like if it's a part for the van or like an electrical thing, something's broken, then then we would get it. We would have it sent to either an Amazon locker or a friend's address or a UPS store. You like make it work. There's a way to get the stuff to you. It's just the fact that it makes it a little bit harder. And that's the whole point of this concept of of consumerism, right? They try to make it as easy as humanly possible. So it makes your purchase so easy to make. It's just a click of a button, you know, and that that makes that impulse buying a lot easier for you to do and not realize you're even doing it. Yeah, that's such So a- coming up on the holiday season, do you have tips for people to kind of, I know you guys just did a whole episode about impulse spending, so people yeah. can go check that out. Yeah. But what would be kind of a couple of tips for, you know, folks trying to stop themselves when, if they do have an address? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. For, for those who, who have an easy place to send stuff to. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a great question. I think we really like to hold the tension between the two extremes. I think a lot of times, really in any part of life, especially personal finance, though, certainly we can be drawn to one extreme or the other. Either I'm never buying and it's always deprivation or I'm super spendy, YOLO, who cares? 
And I think we can find ourselves somewhere in that radical middle of really identifying what do I want my money to go to and how do I keep myself from putting money where I don't want it to go to. And so I think around the holidays, especially, you know, you've got Black Friday and sales and deals are running constantly. I think we can use that to our advantage. If there's something that we're already planning on buying and it just so happens to be a a good deal, then we can plan for that and we can buy that thing now when it's at its best price. But I also think we want to be armed with an understanding of the marketing tactics that are happening currently and be very mindful of our spending and the decisions and behaviors and habits that are happening. One super simple thing that we can be doing is just creating a pause for ourselves. So whether that's we're in person and we've got a lot of things in our cart and before we hit that checkout line, we're going to stop in in an aisle that's not super busy and review every single item. Okay, do do, how am I feeling about this now? Do I really want to get up to the checkout line and purchase this thing? Do I need it? Could I find this thing in in my home already? Could I repurpose something? Could I buy this used? Kind of run through those lists first of, is there something that I can fix? Can I find this used already? Do, do I even need to spend on this before actually purchasing it? And if we're buying digitally, this can be where we let something sit in our cart, our <laughs> digital cart for 24 hours. There's even certain platforms and software that can help you to, you can put your credit card on freeze if impulse shopping is a really big difficulty for for any individual. You can, yeah, there's all sorts of add-ons, extensions to to the web browsers that can help us create barriers. But at the end of the day, we know how to get around these things. So we are going to have to start implementing some of these habits in ourselves of pause, take a beat, ask yourself, do I need this? Is this going to solve a problem for me? Is there something in my house I can repurpose to solve this problem for me? Can I get it used? And after we've run through all those questions and we're still like, yep, no, we need, we're going to buy this now. It's the best deal ever. Great. That's great too. We're going to spend money. Mm -hmm. I think that's so, I love the idea of going through your cart before you get to the checkout digitally or in person and really looking at it. Cause you know, it's kind of fun when you're walking through the aisles and you just see something, you're like, Ooh, that's cute. And you throw it in and then you get to the checkout and you're like, maybe I didn't need that. Why is that? Why is that or, in my cart? Oh, I actually have this at home already. <laughs> like, why did I do this? But I also love the idea of if you are somebody who like, for example, when you're building a van, there's a lot of big purchases that you need to make in terms of you know, there's some big ticket items depending on how fancy your build is going to be. Or like how you feel like you want to live within that rig. Mm -hmm. But some of these websites will have sales on those things. So if you're already have, you know, made the list, right. Mm -hmm. And you know that the inverter that you want costs a thousand dollars, but on black Friday, it's only seven fifty. That's a great time to buy it. Exactly. We can leverage it. We can be the ones who are empowered to make the decisions rather than marketers, social media influencers telling us what we need. So just making sure that 
we are fully aware and mindful about our purchases rather than just, oh, they told me I need this. Okay. <laughs> right. You know, I, I want to go back to the shopping thing real quick. Uh, Alex and I were in California at one point in time. We went to a, a fresh market, which was like an Amazon supermarket. Yeah. First time ever in something like that. And, uh, you know, not that I'm like condoning the huge companies or anything like that. But what I thought that was really cool and interesting is anytime you put something in your cart, it actually like waited out, told you what the item was and gave you a price. And so like, as you were walking around the store, putting stuff in your cart, you could see how much money you were spending when you were going to get to the checkout. There was like a computer where your hands push the cart. So that computer literally tallies it up. So you take a spice mm -hmm. off the counter, put it in your cart. It adds the spice, tells you, okay, now your total is $45, yeah. $56. Like it, so it just keeps That's a running tally. And for us, we were like, like this is ooh. Awesome. But then we're also some things we're like, ooh, that was kind of pricey. Like, Let's I don't, I'm going to put that back. Yeah, that's really, so great. I don't know if they meant to do that. No, I think they were, I, <laughs> you know, what they were trying to do is make your checkout simple. So okay. all they were trying to do is make it to where you could literally scan your credit card or put your information well, into you're the already cart, logged into the cart. Into the cart, and then you could just pay and go, right? Wow. So it makes it really easy to to pay for your stuff. But also at the same time, what they are putting in place, but they don't realize is <laughs> a way for you to go, oh man, I'm spending a lot of money. What can I put back? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We can leverage the information <laughs> to our benefit. Yeah. A deal's happening. Great. I already was planning on buying it versus a deal's happening. Wasn't even thinking about buying that, but I guess I'll get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like that silver lining, right? I think yeah. in every experience that we have, we have that opportunity to like, really pick the positives from it. You know, even if it's a negative experience, there's a positive message that you might be able to pick up on or what did I do to put me in the situation, you know? So it's like, there's always a positive way of turning that around and saying, oh, this is what I should do differently next time. Well, I think personally for Frankie, so Frank and I grew up very differently. Yeah. My dad actually worked for American Express in the debt collection section. Mm -hmm. So it was drilled into me from a very early age. How do credit cards work? How does debt work? Why you would never run a balance on a credit card. If you're going to have one, you pay it off in full every month. And my parents were the complete opposite where they would run up the tab. They would say, oh, this is free money. And then they would go to a debt collector for that, you know, and mm -hmm. like their debt would be picked up and they would have people trying to find them to collect debt from them, you know, and and so I never gained a financial understanding at an early age on how to spend, how mm -hmm. to utilize a credit card properly. You know, instead I would overspend and I would, I would still have money for myself, but I would, I would spend because I didn't want to give my money away to my parents per se, or yeah. whatever the case may be. So just like the, the complete opposite thought on how she grew up compared to where I grew up. I wish every kid could get that financial understanding mm -hmm. early on. But I will say the silver lining for you in that situation was that you made a big mistake. Yes, I did. In your financial yep. journey. And that big mistake led him on a path to how to fix it. Correct. And mm -hmm. why is this important? And what do I need to do to get my credit score back up to and regain, you know, all of this knowledge? The difference between when I made the mistake, when I made the mistake, I was like, nah, I don't need to buy a car for seven years. I don't need to get a house for seven years. For like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 28 when I could do that, you know, it's yeah. like kind of the thought process. But what I didn't realize is that I could have probably owned 
three or four houses maybe if I didn't make that decision and I could have made a financial you know, uh, ability to rent out houses and or flip houses or these different things that could have put me in a much better financial situation today uh, mm. that I missed an opportunity on because of just the lack of knowledge, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a cost-benefit analysis to all the decisions we make, but well done, you both, on having these conversations. Clearly, you've talked about them and 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 found knowledge and a pathway forward aimed at well-being for years now that you're even able to share this on a podcast with others something that yeah there could be a lot of shame around but i think really removing that and saying we don't know what we don't know and so much of our approach to money has to do with our money stories what you're hitting mm-hmm. on is so rich of in order to to change our behaviors, it's going to start way far back from that. It's certainly going to intersect with our thoughts about money, our previous experiences with money, our, our attitudes towards money, how we feel about money before we can even look at what do I do about impulse purchases? Yeah. That's just the behavior. There are so many other layers and nuances and we are whole people. And you know, what did the holidays mean to me as a kid? What didn't I have that I now want now? What what did I have then that I want to shift now that mm-hmm. all of these things are going to play into our behaviors of spending. But I think looking at and understanding it, having conversation, knowing what's going to be aimed at well-being for us is really the first place to start. And you all are modeling this so beautifully. Thank you. We appreciate that. And like the other thing I want to say about that is the fact that you're never too old to change your ways, you know, yeah. like I think that like, and the the fact that you, people are being shameful is because they failed and like there there's shame and failure, but there shouldn't be. There really should be a learning experience in that. So everybody fails all the time. We fail every day in, in all different types of things. It's all about just like making the necessary steps to realize what you did in that failure and then don't duplicate that, you know. Because if you duplicate that, then that's just insanity at the end of it, you know? So <laughs> couldn't agree more. And I, yeah, there's so many people that we talk to. We've got community members in their 60s, 70s, who will often begin when they first come across us by saying, Oh, I wish I had known this when I was 30. I can't ever start now. I'll never be able to pay off my debt. And then a few years later, surprise, surprise, I was able to do it. And, mm-hmm. and I think we love encouraging people at all stages. It is not too late to make positive changes in the trajectory of your life in general, certainly your finances. And I think as we improve and aim at life in one area of our personhood, it's going to have a positive effect on yeah. these other areas as well. So it's it's all productive. It's all worthwhile to keep improving. I, I would like to also add that I one of the things that I think that changing was a big, big thing for me was what I thought about money. So mm-hmm. I always thought money was like the root to all evil and money was like not good and whoever had it was doing bad things. And I really changed my mindset on that, that if you're a good person and you want to do good with your money, then you could do that. You yeah. know, so instead of like rejecting money because I thought it was evil, I started to allow money into my life as well. So with changing that thought process and that concept, it really helped actually 
see more value in what we were doing and and who we are and value in ourselves. And I have Alex to thank for that because she's the reason why my mindset has changed on that particularly as well. So I would say also change your mindset on what you think about money and that might change how you spend it. That might change how you think about, you know, uh, your habits with it. Yeah, I can commiserate with that so much, Frankie, especially coming from the social work field. And for me growing up, we did not have a lot of money. I was on food stamps in high school at at one point. And so I think sometimes, I don't want to make a huge blanket statement here, but I think sometimes that feeling like money is evil and it's attached to greediness can sometimes correlate to not ever really having experiences of having money. And so it just is kind of this, uh, those who had it didn't really care about me. I've never been able to have it. And there's certainly a lot of layers to it. But I think you're right in coming to a place of recognizing money's neutral, We can do a lot of different good or bad things with it, but it can be a tool. It can be a tool to care for myself, my family, my community, my friends. I can leverage this in the best possible way. Again, that's aimed at well-being. That's aimed at um, caring for my personhood and, and those around me. But it definitely takes some time to come to that understanding and really kind of pushing back on that scarcity mindset and recognizing you can still be a good person, even yeah. if you aren't poor. There are some really great poor people. There are yeah. some great wealthy people. We get to choose what kind of person we are. Mm-hmm. So in the personal finance space, you know, there's so many different voices and there's so many different ideas on how you should save or spend or all of these things and different personalities promoting different books or, you know, whatever, um, personal finance. Is there anything in this space that like irks you that you wish people wouldn't follow that advice or like some advice that you've heard from some of these like so-called gurus that you would say is kind of like irksome? Oh, for sure. How much time do we have left? <laughs> no, I won't name names. I'm not going to draw draw anybody through the mud. Yeah. I I get particularly annoyed with concepts that are one size fits all or just the, these really small boxes of exactly how you need to do this. Just do X, Y, Z, and that's it. And we're humans. We are dynamic creatures. Life looks so different for all of us. So it it can't be a one, two, three, X, Y, Z, everything's honky-dory. We've got to be able to be flexible, find freedom, and create the path that's going to make the most sense for us. Certainly, there are some overarching do's and don'ts when it comes to finances, but there is not a set pathway that's going to work for everybody. So I think one of the things we really love to encourage people in is it doesn't have to look the same as it looks for everybody else. You could choose to take forever to pay off your debt and that's fine. You're doing well with your finances. You can pay off debt and invest at the same time. You can there you can take on more debt if you're doing it with eyes wide open and you're understanding what you're signing up for. You can be debt free and pay off your mortgage and more power to you. But one is not necessarily better than another. It's what's going to be best for you as an individual mm-hmm. and for your family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My grandma's still paying off her debt from school today. 
She's like 78 years old and still has a student loan. She'll never get out of <laughs> I mean, she could if she wanted to, I'm sure. She's, not a she's, ex- she's on a, yeah, extremely yeah, fixed income now at this know. point. The, she, all she could do is pay the minimum. And mm-hmm. the debt actually just continues to increase because of she's the probably barely even she's paying like one dollar of principal every yeah, month. And yeah, then, that's you know. <laughs> just to keep it from you know haunting her in any way. That's I actually saw a TikTok the other day. This girl she was pulled up her student loan and she said, I took out a hundred thousand, I've paid off eighty, and I still owe a hundred and seventy thousand. How does how yeah. did this happen? Yeah. You know, yeah. if somebody's in a situation like that, like obviously moving into a van or an RV, you know, like could help and you know really looking at your spending and blah 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 but like how do you actually get out of like from under that i know oh that's so debilitating and really gross actually Mm. just the whole system and you know you can't buy a car as an 18 year old they're not going to give you a car loan with like zero credit without a co-signer but you can sign up for a hundred thousand dollar student loan no big deal who cares it's so backwards and i think with those two examples you just gave between your grandmother or this this younger person i think stage of life is definitely going to play into what's best for each one of them Your grandmother probably, it sounds like, not really having opportunities to earn more income. She's kind of in her golden years of life, and this is what it's looking like for her, and she's making the best possible financial decisions for herself. As younger people, though, when we're facing this mountain of debt, and of course, it's going to depend on how how much is this impacting my mental, emotional, relational health, because that's really important in this journey. But I think when we've got so much that we owe or our expenses are so high, there's going to come a point where we can't save, 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 or spend less, spend less. Sometimes we're going to need to look at our income Mm -hmm. of, am I making what I need to be making in order to get after these financial goals that I have? Debt like that, $180,000 worth of debt could really be debilitating if we let that linger throughout the rest of life. That's going to impact the ability to invest for retirement, what retirement ends up looking like. So I do encourage younger people, I mean, certainly advocate at the legislative level for the change that you want to see. But as far as your current life now, for all of us, what's within our control and influence and how can I make impact on my current circumstances? So I think identifying ways to not just make the minimum payment. The reason it's growing so much has to do with the interest. So finding ways to put more towards that principle and really get it down. And sometimes we don't love to talk about this, but it's going to mean looking at how can I possibly earn some extra income? I'm not advocating for hustle culture, But is it possible that you're being underpaid at the job that you have or you are undercutting your skill set? Could there be opportunities to make more money so you can feel more confident about the financial landscape you're in? Yeah. And I think one thing to think about is like, not, not that this is hustle culture, but one thing you could do in your career that you're in, you could always look for the same career just somewhere else and see if they'll pay you more. Yeah. Do that as much as often as you like. You know, and and try to find yourself a better situation. Just yeah. because you're in a good situation doesn't mean you can't find a better one. Yeah. You know, so just think about that. And that you might make it to where you're not having to hustle so hard. You know, you Absolutely. don't you don't need the three jobs. Instead, you could just have the one job. You know, Absolutely. also I feel like I don't know the way things are going. It's like 
you need a full-time job and something yeah no you know to be able to pay the mortgage to pay the food to take care of your kids to pay the daycare to do all these things like it just from what i see on social media and like other you know talking to friends and stuff it's like it's hard and mm-hmm. I like something I would love to see, like legislation-wise, when it comes to student debt, would be there, like to be like a cap on how much a financial institute can make off of. Hey yo, like Wouldn't so, that be a good idea? like twenty grand is your cap that you can make. Yeah. I mean, they're still making money at the end of the day, right? So you know, if there's a cap there, then both the financial institution is happy because they've made money. I mean, obviously not as happy as if they're making a percentage throughout the rest of their life type of thing, but the student could actually pay it off and then they could actually benefit financially from being able to pay it off and be able to put money back into the economy anyway. And it's a win-win for everybody, yeah. but you know, that's no one's listening to us. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, We have a decent sized platform, but you know, yeah, yeah, we yeah. Need to keep <laughs> spreading the word. So, we, we, you know, we yeah. can get more people to understand that if we fix small things in legislation, then we could actually have an even bigger thriving economy than we have today. Mm-hmm. And helping to educate the 18-year-olds on what they're actually signing up for. Yeah. Yeah. I did not fully know. They call it your financial aid package. Well, all it really means is you're going to owe some real money. Yeah. Just for a matter of years. making a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I love that. But yeah, we really appreciate the conversation. We hope that this helps you guys out there. Um, is, is there any any extra advice that you could give to people out there that are looking to, um, you know, maybe change their mindset on the difference between being cheap and being frugal? I would just encourage people to be kind to yourself. I think when we're talking about finances, for many of us, it does intersect with some difficult experiences, some lack of knowledge, feeling ashamed, sometimes feeling silly or 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 even stupid for not knowing all the lingo. And I just think every little step that we take towards knowledge, towards improving our circumstances is a fantastic step. So just kindness to yourself throughout it. Being curious, asking those what, when, how questions rather than the why and learning yourself more and more and caring for and kindness towards yourself. Thank you so much, Jill. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think that our listeners are going to find it super helpful. We're going to have all the links to the Frugal Friends podcast down below so that they can come and check you out. You just put up an episode on capsule wardrobes, which I'm really excited about because when you live in a van, you really don't have room for a lot of clothing. So (laughs) making the best choices for that. So I think there's a lot that our listeners can get from checking out your podcast in terms of their entire van life journey. So we really appreciate you coming on the show today and uh, sharing some nuggets of wisdom with us. Yes. Thank you so much. What a treat it's been. We also do have a newsletter. So for anybody wanting freebies, we we tell you what's for free that week, food usually, because we love food, savings tips, money mindset hacks. So that's also at the website, frugalfriendspodcast.com. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. We absolutely love this conversation with Jill. It's so cool that she has the RV connection. She knows what it means to live in a vehicle. And she also knows what it means to like budget and make responsible choices for your financial future while living the van life. But the thing I think is really neat is that we're kind of having this conversation 
right around the time of year where every company on the entire planet wants a piece of your money. Yeah. You know? And and it's like, it really takes self-control and determination to not just like give away your money to these companies. Yeah. You like, I've gotten so many emails in the last like week of like, we're having a sale. We're having a sale. Don't come, come to us, come buy something from us. And it's like tempting. Cause you're like, Ooh, maybe I do. But now I'm, you know, taking a moment and taking that pause like Jill talks about. And it's like, Mm -hmm. do I actually need this thing right now? Do I actually want that thing? Is that actually a good deal that they're offering me? Or are they just trying to get me to buy it now? If I don't buy it now, would I actually need it in the next four months? Really what I want Black Friday deals on is like the stock market. So I like, (laughs) I want to buy Amazon for like two bucks. Right. Tesla stocks that have have the value of it. Yeah. That'd be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, (laughs) The Black Friday deals are more to make the stock prices go up, I think, yeah, you know, to for sure. build Which, if company you've invested, That's a good investment, yeah. I guess, right? You know, I mean, they, they have been talking about how this year might be like the worst on record in for the Black sense Friday of Black sales. Friday. Um, but I don't know how true that is. You well, know? I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll find out in the coming weeks. But like, I'm certainly not shopping like I have on Black Friday's past. I guess it begs the question, like, how broke is everybody really out there? And are they willing to control their habits with their credit card spending? Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, coming back to the van life thing, like, is moving into a van something that you're considering because you're looking for a more frugal lifestyle. Yeah. Like, do you want to live in a vehicle because the cost of housing is too high? Your bills have piled up around you. You're looking for an alternative that is cost efficient, that, you know, allows you to explore and do some cool things. Or maybe not. Maybe you're just going to stay in the same place and stay in the same city and work the same job. But instead of paying $2,500 a month for rent and you know, a thousand dollars a month for your car and insurance and blah, 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 blah. You're considering looking at van life as a more frugal, affordable lifestyle. Well, yeah. And also even on top of that, just weighing out what the difference between the two is for, for you and your situation on how you would live van life, because the way that you might live, it might be more expensive than living in a normal, regular stationary house. I'm not trying to discourage you. All I'm trying to say is just make sure you do the numbers. Mm-hmm. And so we want to hear from you guys. Send us a DM on Instagram. There will also be a poll on this on Spotify if you're listening down there. Let us know, you know, where you're thinking in terms of frugality and van life and what that looks like for you. Because we'd love to learn more about what you guys are dealing with and struggling with so that we can help you figure it all out together as one big FNA community. 100%. All right, guys, we have a baby waking, so we hope that you have an FNA day. And remember, try to be a little bit more frugal on these holidays. Hey, everybody knows it's true. Van life, YouTube channel, what they do. Everybody's got to get money. Everybody's about to get money. Make sure you subscribe to their YouTube channel, FNA Van Life. All that.